Good morning. <laughs> no, fellowship is good. I'm glad y'all are doing that. That's a good thing for you. So uh, glad to be here again. Thank you for continuing to put up with me. Um, I, hope, uh, I hope I'm helping a little bit just with the uh, teaching of the, of the word here. So we've been looking and learning for, about the church that God has organized and ordained from the book of 1 Timothy. So Timothy was Paul's disciple, whom he'd set in charge of the church in Ephesus. And apparently there had been some problems in Ephesus at the church, and so Paul writes to give him wisdom and leadership to guide this young pastor as he leads the church there. Um, and we've looked at a number of things. If you go back through it, we've looked at the purpose of this was love. You know, he wanted the church to be in love um, with one another and with, with those who needed Christ. And uh, there's the act, attitude of war. There's some, they're in a warfare. We're in a warfare. Um, some of that is happening all around us. So he, he looks into all that. And uh, last week we looked into the whole issue of an elder. And this week we're going to look into the issue of a um, deacon. The reason Paul wrote the book was to get Timothy uh, to set up the church in an orderly fashion so as to bring glory to God. One thing hit me this past week about what Paul was telling Timothy to do in setting up the church in an orderly, in an orderly way. Paul was, had given Timothy an example of a missionary who planted churches, and this church in Ephesus, as I think all churches, was to be a missionary church that planted churches. And so I believe that one of the main reasons Paul wrote this letter to Timothy was that he wanted this church to bring glory to God as it influenced its culture and her people for the gospel and saw many come to know the Savior there in Ephesus. I believe that's the purpose of this church. I believe that was the purpose of the churches I pastored and the churches that I came from in, in my own personal history. Their, their, their goal ultimately was to win their culture to Christ, as win as many people to Jesus as possible. Be a great influence, salt light, if you would. If a church is out of order and is disorganized and is full of strife, is this church that attractive to outsiders? Sort of an obvious answer. <laughs> no. Is this church that God can, is this a church God can use to lead others to himself through the congregation? Is that church going to grow and bring glory to God and glory to their Savior by being disorderly, strife-ridden, and inwardly focused? No. So think about that for a second. I ask the questions, but <clears throat> what would Satan like to do more than anything in order to bring the church to a place where it's ineffective? He'll bring strife and struggle and disagreement and hurt and pain into the church. And then that church ends up being sidelined instead of being on the battlefield. That doesn't mean that church is finished. That just means that the church needs to get its self in order. <clears throat> I've been through some of that as a pastor. Um, we had strife in our churches at different times. I could tell you stories make your hair stand up. But uh, hopefully we worked through that. and We grew and matured through that. And the end result was is that we became a better church in the long run. Paul wanted the church organized so they could properly, properly worship God in all that it does 
He could help others by ministering to the lost and the hurting and the disenfranchised. He wanted it organized so that it could see many come to Christ as they saw an authentic Christian community live up to its values, live out its values, live what it says it believes, and thereby see many come to Christ. He wanted this church in Ephesus, and I believe he wants all churches, to, that well, certainly that he started, to continue on winning the lost, giving the hopeless and hope and, and the despondent and depressed a new reason to live. He wanted to influence the culture for good. So in doing this, he wanted the leadership to be the most sincere Christians in the place. He wanted them to be the most godly and the ones who kept Christ first in all that they did. They were to be examples of Jesus living through them intentionally. Last week, we spoke about bishops or pastors, the elders, they're to be spiritual leaders in the church. They're to lead the church through their example of godly living and teaching. You can't teach, really, what you don't know. Ask me how I know that. I've taught stuff that I hadn't really learned, and it doesn't always work through you the way it should. So it takes maturity. You have to grow in some things. Um, I started as a pastor when I was 35, I think it was. And... Um, <clears throat> Boy, I, I still had tons to learn. Still do today. I mean, I'm 70 now, and that's a bit of water under the bridge. <laughs> so, we're to lead the church <clears throat> through our example of godly living and teaching. This week, we want to look at deacons. Now, um, I'm coming at this, as I have said in the past, from a, a Baptist background. And I asked, I, didn't, I asked John this morning, do you guys even have deacons? And, and there's been deacons, I think, in the past. Um, you don't have them now. I totally understand that. So, but, but if you could take this as points of spiritual growth as well, because I believe Paul holds this up, both the elder and the deacon, as examples of, of what it means to be a godly person, not just a deacon or an elder. So it might be something you want to talk about. In the, let me sideline this just for a second. But in the Baptist church, we didn't have elders, but we had deacons. In your church, you have elders, but you don't have deacons. Somewhere we need to meet in the middle and get all this straight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> in the Baptist church, there's a history of that. In the 1870s, somewhere along the line, they decided to do away with elders because they had elders in the church. <clears throat> and they decided to allow deacons... Um, to become the financiers, if you would, of the church. It was a horrible mistake, historically. And the end result was, as deacons in the Baptist church have now sort of taken over the leadership, in a lot of instances, in an ungodly way. And if you were to look in Southern Baptist churches, which I'm most familiar with, you'd find that a lot of churches are just having terrible struggles because of this deacon board that has not acted properly according to Scripture. And the end results has been a lot of, of hurt in the church. So I believe that we need to go back to what um, the scripture really teaches about servant leadership. And this, uh, the word, I'm going to look at this in a minute, the word deacon is all about being a servant. Um, I want to look at two verses uh, real quick here. Mark chapter 9, or excuse me, chapter 10, verse 42 and 40 through 45, Jesus <clears throat> elevates the whole idea of 
servanthood. He says, but Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. Verse 43, yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. That is a revolutionary statement, both then and now. People don't want to be servants. They want to be out in front all the time. You know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the man or the woman. I'm the person you know, of, of leadership. But that isn't what Jesus said. He said, the great ones among you will be servants. In verse 44, and whoever among you, or whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. Whoa. <laughs> what? <laughs> That's an upside down in our society. That's a complete flip of what we think about as being the right way to live. Verse 45, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And here's the catch-all to it all. And to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus ultimately served us by dying on the cross. And when he calls you and I to become Christ's followers, we're to follow him by what? Taking up our cross and following after him. And when we do that, we become servants. That rubs against us at times. You know, really does. John chapter 12, verse 26 says this, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So what's he talking about there? If we're going to serve him, we're going to serve by doing the things of the church. We're going to serve, by, uh, serve him by serving people in the community. We're going to serve him by giving ourselves away. We're going to serve him by dying to self taking up our cross and following after him. So I want you to have that as sort of an under foundation, if you would, of, of looking at this passage in Timothy. Because Timothy, or Paul calls on Timothy to pick out men who are beginning to live this. It doesn't mean they've arrived. We're all in a growth process. Please keep that in mind. But it's, it's looking for those kind of men of character who are grabbing after this walking with him, as well as women, too. Um, I, I've, I'm, I'm not going to run into that right now, but Jim explained to me some of your background, so I'm, I, I, I don't mean to step on toes. I'm just telling you what the, I understand the Scripture to say. So, they're to be like their Lord by putting on the loincloth of service. You remember when Jesus put on the loincloth, or the, he wrapped himself in a towel in John chapter 13, and he went and washed all the disciples' feet? And they were going, no way, Peter specifically, you're not going to wash my feet. What was he doing? He was giving an example of servanthood, of servant leadership. And in that, he, he, we, we will win the world to Christ when we serve others with a, with a loving heart. So let's look at what a deacon looks like according to Paul's letter. Um, let, I'm going to read... Uh, 1 through 13 real quick here. I don't think it'll be up there, but let me just read this real quick. It says, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of bishop, which we looked at last week, he desires a good work. <clears throat> a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, 
not violent, not greedy for money, not, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man uh, does not know <clears throat> how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, at least being puffed up, with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and be snare and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be uh, reverent, not slanders, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let's just pray for a second. Father, I ask that you would open this passage of Scripture to us so that we might <clears throat> make wise decisions about leadership in the church. And Lord, I pray that we might all, in one way or another, aspire to be servants. Servants of you, servants of the church. Servants of those around us so that we can see them uh, one to you, brought into a relationship with you. So Lord, um, embolden your word here. Make it, make it alive to us in Jesus' name. Amen. I have one story I thought I'd tell you because it sort of fits all this, and um, it's something of what you've had to put up with with me. But um, a church called a new pastor at 60 years of age, his first sermon was 15 minutes long. Kind of short, but fine for the folks. The next week he preached for 20 minutes. That was okay too. But the following week he preached for an hour and 45 minutes. Boy, the deacons pulled him off to the side, demanding an answer for, for such an atrocity. He said, well, you know, the parsonage bathroom is so small. Now, you all know what a parsonage is. You all remember what a parsonage is? <laughs> well, you know, the smart parsonage bathroom is so small, and my wife and I were running late this morning, and we got mixed up, and I accidentally pulled her, put her false te teeth in by mistake. And what, once you get those things going... You just can't stop them. <laughs> At the deacon's meeting, it was recommended to get a bigger bathroom for the parsonage. <laughs> not sure how long this will take. I'll, I'm, this is not as long as I've been. I apologize for taking too long sometimes. So, Leadership is developed, okay? Leadership is something that we're not just born with. It's something you can learn and grow in. And biblical Christian leadership is servant leadership. So it's something that we, it's not something that we just instantly do. A lot of times that's against our flesh. It's against what we came out of the world with. And so we have to learn. This is all a part of a growing. It's a growing process to learn to be a leader. So what does a deacon look like? That's what he's talking about in this passage. First thing, deacons are men of character, verses 8 and 9. Please note, first, what Paul says 
to start with. Deacons likewise, or likewise deacons must be reverent. That likewise is much like the therefore we looked at last week. It always refers back to something. It, it has an, uh, uh, an emphasis on the, what's been said already. So a likewise is a lot like that therefore. You look back at the previous context and see what the writer is talking about. The deacon is to be a lot like a bishop. Many of these uh, character traits are the same as a bishop or a, an elder. He's just doing a different task in the church. And I, 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 I was a pastor for 27 years. Um, I can tell you that the church does not run on just what the pastor does. I could not have functioned had I not had a secretary. Um, I'm, I am almost inept when it comes to computers and stuff. And I'm not good at typing. And I needed my secretary. Terry Pask was my secretary for seven years. Uh, Glenda McCoy was my secretary for seven years in another church. Um, they were like my right arm. <laughs> I needed help because I couldn't do it. I needed, I had a, a group of deacons at the church I pastored in Pembroke, Georgia. I called them the young bucks because they're all a bunch of young guys, but they were on fire for Jesus. They wanted to do it, you know, wanted to go after the community. I couldn't have done all that by myself. There's no way. I couldn't organize the church by myself. So I'm saying, what I'm saying is, is there's a need for everybody to be a part of what's going on. This is like, we all need to be involved. It's not, it's not for us to sit on the sidelines and watch the guy up on the pulpit uh, do his thing. Thank you. So you, please just take this as that. You know, we're all growing, we're all learning, and we're all in need. It's a body. You know, in uh, 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the body of Christ. And he puts it all together. This is so important. So, a deacon just is a different task in the church. The word deacon comes from the word deaconos, which literally means a humble servant or a table waiter or a servant of water. A deaconos in that day and time was a dust sweeper. Um, the first time I went to India, I got off the plane at 2 o'clock in the morning. It took me two hours to go through their customs. So I, I got into a taxi cab, a, a rickshaw, really, three wheels open, motorized, running down the road, at 4.30 in the morning, and there was these women out, bent over, sweeping the streets. They were the keepers of the streets, I found out. They did that every morning. They were dust sweepers. They were the humblest of the Indian society. That's what Paul is saying here, is that Deaconos is, is a dust sweeper. He's, he's a man who's humble, who wants to get underneath and help. Christ demonstrated this Deaconos idea when he took the towel and washed the disciples' feet. When they first chose the first deacons in the church in Acts chapter 6, uh, I think we have that up there, Acts chapter 6, um, you have uh, the apostles saying, you got to find some people to help us out. We can't do all this. We're, it says now in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Verse 2 says, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable that we should leave the word 
of God and serve tables. Now just stop there a second. Think about that. It takes time to put together sermons. It takes time to, to give the word of God out. And other, there's still all this other stuff that's going on in the church that needs to be taken care of. And so that man or that woman who is a deacon, they have to help out or the pastor can't do his job, which is to feed you. The apostles understood that. I'm pointing up at the word that's back there. So verse 3 says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the word. In other words, the apostles didn't do anything else. They assigned this to these guys, and that's what they did. They helped them so that they could do the other ministry that they had in the church. So the church either works all together or it falls apart, basically. There has to be these assignments of, of different kinds of duties within the church. Um, <clears throat> the deacons are not to form a board to oversee the pastor or the elders. and um, I'm, That's coming from a Baptist background. But a deacon, is, it's not a deacon. I, I, I'm, I, when I use board, I'm using it in the business sense that we're, it's an authority structure. And in Baptist life, the deacons became the authority structure of the church. And consequently, instead of being a team, it became this sort of battle between the deacon board and the pastor at times. And it was not healthy. I'm not sure what goes on in the Presbyterian church. I, I can't really speak to that. But you don't want to set up a board that oversees you. Want to, you want to be on a team together playing in the same direction, doing the same thing, headed, headed to win the community for Christ. Consequently, deacons are to serve. In the early church, they recognized a man who would be a deacon by what he had become. In other words, his character rose to the surface. Consequently, um, when he talks about all these different character traits, he's saying, look for men like this. These are the kind of people you want to bring into leadership in, in this. I keep saying men, and I realize y'all have a little different tradition here, but the, the Greek here is all uh, masculine. I, I did a study on that years ago, and it's all masculine, so I'm, that's why I say men. But y'all, anyway, <clears throat> I'm going to get myself in trouble right now. <laughs> anyway, in the early church, they recognized a man who would be a deacon by what he had become, his character had already developed to the point where he was doing the work of a deacon and then was called out and recognized and then given more responsibility. Again, this is not an office to be held, but an opportunity to give of oneself in service to the church body and therefore to Christ. Now, these qualities, I'm going to run through them again like I did last week, but they're, they're character qualities that are, are developed in a person and should be shown out. So the first is... Um, reverent. In verse 8 it says, likewise deacons must be reverent or worthy of respect. That is, they are to be serious men of dignity. They're not to be clowns. That doesn't mean they don't have a sense of humor. They should be fun to be around, I think. But they also shouldn't be, you know, nuts as such. It means to be serious or stately, to venerate or to worship. The idea is that a deacon is one who is spiritually majestic quality about them that causes others to have a sense of awe and respect when around them. 
They are to be men of dignity who are serious about their responsibility. He should be a man that others want to become like because they see Christ's character in them. In other words, uh, anybody in the leadership of the church should be one that you look up to and you want to be like. Second, he's not to be double-tongued. That is, he's not to be hypocritical. They're to be sincere in, the, in, the, in that what they say um, is true and right. He's absolutely honest. He does not tell tales from one house to the next. He's not a gossip. He doesn't set up problems between communities in the church. He does not say one thing to a member and then something entirely different to another. He does not use his position to cause a disruption in the church. Unfortunately, I've been through that, where a deacon decided it was his desire to cause problems in the church. And he told people different things, and, and suddenly there's an upheaval in the church. It took me a while to figure out what was going on. That can be really destructive. Gossip, I think, I think I've said this before, but gossip, I think, is the main thing that Satan uses in the church today to destroy the church in America. And deacons can be a part of that. Thirdly, he's not given to much wine the de- and is not addicted to drink. That is, addicted is to, or t- or addiction means to turn one's mind towards. A deacon is not to be preoccupied with drink, and it should be in no way influence his life. In that day and time, I think I said this last week, but they mixed wine and water to purify the water. And so they often drank the two together. Um, but you could still drink too much. And if you did, it would ruin your life. Proverbs uh, 23, 29 through 35 gives a real good explanation of what it means to end up um, as a drunk. I, I see this on our streets today in, in, some, in some sense. He says, Whoa, who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Who, those who linger long at the wine, those who go in search of mixed wine, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or one who lies at the top of the mass saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I wake that I may seek another drink? That's a person who's obsessed with alcohol. And you see them on their streets today often. You can't have a, can't have a person in leadership who's um, taken up with drink. Fourthly, he's not greedy for money, or as the NIV puts it, he does not chase after dishonest gain. John MacArthur says this, Judas was not the last treasurer who betrayed his Lord for a few pieces of silver. We are all treasurers of material goods and talents the Lord has given us. He will not use his office, that is, a deacon will not use his office for personal gain. Deacons should not have a greedy spirit, nor should they use the respect they garner from being a deacon to gain an advantage in business. That doesn't mean they can't do business. You ought to be able to do business with a deacon because he's an honest, upright man. But he doesn't use his office to enrich himself. That's not his purpose. Fifth, 
They're to be holding the mystery of the faith with pure conscience. The deacon is to be one who is doctrinally sound. Deacons are not just men who believe the truth. They live it. They are men who have strong biblical knowledge and insight and are able to live with a clear conscience because they live what they believe. This phrase, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience, includes the idea that deacons should not be a new convert or young in the faith. And I would underline that. In my experience, a lot of people get really excited when they first become Christians, and then they sort of slide for a while. And then maturity brings them back as they begin to seek God and come back. And you need to watch that process in a person. It's not a bad process. It's just what people go through at times. You need to give that person a chance to come around to where they are walking consistently and regularly with the Lord. They're willing to understand um, the ups and downs of the Christian life at times. They base their decisions on the Word of God, and they must back up their decision with godly lives. Remember, I've said this before, but we behave like what we believe. And it takes time to get your belief system changed around so that you behave consistently with Scripture. If a man does not have joy in his life, then he's behaving like what he believes about God. And I know I've experienced depression, so please don't misunderstand me here. But God gives us joy. And if we look at him and we keep our focus on him and we run after him, then he'll put joy in our hearts. Otherwise, we get obsessed with other things. If he does not serve or do evangelism or or is given to drink or greed, he's behaving like what he really believes. He therefore needs to do some growing before he becomes a deacon. Others look to deacons for wisdom, for spiritual leadership to be so he must be consistent, a consistent man of faith and um, solid in his doctrine. Uh, when I first, uh, I went overseas with a group called Operation Mobilization years ago, and I met this man named Dave Knopp. Um, Dave was about four years older than I am, and uh, he had three children at the time, and they had decided to pick up and lead, leave uh, Stanton, Virginia, take their children and go live in England and serve with OM. He was the godliest man I'd ever met. And I just hung around him all the time. It was so much fun watching him raise his kids, and he was gentle and sweet, and I aspired to be like him. He, ended, he actually ended up doing the wedding for my wife and I, and I'm going to see him this fall when I go to Virginia to see my third grandchild from my daughter arrive. <laughs> but seeing somebody live out their Christian life the way Dave Knopp did, inspired me. I mean, it was like an anchor, and I just kept going after it because I saw it in his life. Say, I never arrived there, by the way, (laughs) but but that's where I was headed because he he embodied that. And I believe that a deacon and an elder in your church should be a person that you want to become like in one sense. We'll we'll never be exactly like each other, but you want to become like that person because you see godliness in them. Warren Worsby tells this story about a pastor friend who went to a church where there had been a lot of strife, partly because the deacons knew the church constitution better than they knew the word of God. He took a church that had split from another church and was constantly 
at war with itself. Their business meetings were something to behold. The church constitution was revered almost as much as the Bible. The people called it the green book. The pastor began to teach the people the word of God and the spirit of God began to make changes in their lives. But the enemy went to work and stirred up some officers to defy the pastor in a business meeting. You're not following the green book, they said. Warren Worsby's friend lifted his Bible high and asked, Are we going to obey the word of God or a green book written by men? That was the turning point in the life of the church. God blessed with wonderful growth and power. A deacon is one who will stand for the word of God and walk according to the word. He's got to be a student of the word. But he's one who will stand for the word and walk according to it. So consequently, the deacon must be a man of deep commitment. Um, a deacon's total commitment, verse 10, is to the Lord, and it's evident to all. Verse 10 says this, um, but let these, who also, let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. A deacon's total commitment to the Lord is evident to everyone around him. Therefore, his character will be tested and tried in the court of public opinion. He will show up to be blameless before others. The word tested means to be tested or, or to approve after testing. This is an ongoing test, not just a probationary, a probationary period. A deacon is always under the magnifying glass. He has to learn to live with that. Pastors are always under the magnifying glass, too. They have to learn to live with that. A deacon is always under the magnifying glass. Thus, they are consistently evaluated on their knowledge of the word and upon their life of servant leadership. Their lives are watched, and they're to be evaluated by how they conduct themselves. For example, the consistency of their faithfulness in all facets of their lives. His diligence and skill in the Word of God, his concern for others and his ability to, to console, his, his servant heart, his reputation, all these make for a, a man who will serve the church. These should be observed for sufficient time to show they're real and to establish a, a general reputation in the body, which is above reproach. Blameless means to be above reproach or beyond reproach. Deacons must not have a blot on their lives. Deacons are also to be men of consistency. Verses 11 and 12 say this. Likewise, their wives must uh, never, excuse me, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their homes well. Um, the home life of a deacon is emphasized here. Because this is where you see whether a man is living out what he says he believes or not. That's what attracted me to Dave Knopp. I, could, I, I worked with him in, I was in the office, I was a travel coordinator, like a travel agent. And he was uh, in the background working on um, construction stuff around our, around our buildings. And I watched him there and then I'd go see him at home. He'd have me over to have dinner and the guy was the same. It was interesting to me. I hadn't been close to a deacon before, uh, uh, an elder type man. 
The deacon's wife is an example of godliness as well. She, she's part of his ministry. This is a team effort. She's to be supportive and consistent with the doctrines that the deacons believe and teaches in his home. She, too, must be worthy of respect, reverent, not a slander, temperate, and faithful. Um, Dave's wife, Marilyn, was that kind of woman. It was so much fun to watch. I, I look back at that with wonder, as it were. They were neat people. First, she is to be worthy of respect and dignified. This is the same word used in verse 8. Women held in awe because of their spiritual devotion. They are godly women who practice what their husbands preach in one sense. They're consistent. They're serious about ministry. They're part of that team. Secondly, the deacon's wife is not a slanderer. This is the same word used to describe Satan's activity. He slanders the saints. Some translations have not, uh, have not malicious gossips, not slanderous. Wives are in control of their tongues. They're false. They're not false accusers. That's real important that they be a team together so that they can work together. And then thirdly, they're, they're tempered or self-controlled. They are women who have self-control and possess sober judgment. They're without addictions. And lastly, they're faithful in what they do. They're faithful in all things. They're women who are absolutely trustworthy, whether her confidence is entrusted or money, she can be trusted as well as her husband. Verse 12, the deacon's home life is in view of everyone. So they need to be willing to let everybody see what's going on in the house. And lastly, deacons are men who are consumed with Jesus. In verse 13, for those who have served well as deacons, Obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. The life and service of a deacon may seem menial to the world, but the church is a high standard, is one that, when done properly, brings great respect, respect to the person. Um, there was a gentleman over at Canyon Ferry. He'd been a bus driver in Los Angeles. He was raised in Lewistown, so he came back uh, after he retired and lived down the street from the church, not too far from the church. His name was Tom Pritchard. He died uh, two falls ago. Tom went to Peru with me. He went to India with me. Um, he completely gave himself to the Lord when he was about 65 or so. He'd, he'd, he'd become a Christian young, then he walked away from the Lord, had a sort of rough life. But Tom, um, every Sunday, without fail, at the end of the service, he'd start walking around the church. He'd clean out all the trash cans in every classroom, in the, in the um, sanctuary, in the halls. He'd empty them and take them out the trash can before he left. He was quiet. He wasn't a talker. But he just served. And everybody in the church watched this man serve. He was just a, a neat, gentle, gracious man. That's what a, a deacon should be, is he's a, a man of service, or a woman of service. They do not serve because they want accolades of the culture or society they live in. They serve because they want to hear from their Lord at the end of their life, well done, good and faithful servant. They're consumed with their Lord and their service to Him. In the days before Connecticut became a state, the colonial legislature was in session when a Thick black cloud blocked out the sunlight. Someone shouted, it's the day of judgment. Let's go home and get ready. 
One member of the legislature was, who happened to be an old church deacon stood up and said, Brethren, it may be the day of judgment. I do not know. The Lord may come, but when he does, I want him to find me at my post doing my duty up to the very last moment. Mr. Speaker, I move that candles be brought in and that we get on with the business of the colony. In the same way as we have seen, the signs are pointing to the fact that Jesus could return at any moment. I think some of us are ready for that right now. But until he does, our duty as servants is to make the best use of our talents and our opportunities. We need to continue doing the business of his kingdom by sharing the gospel message of his love and grace with everyone that is lost and dying in their sins. And that is what a deacon helps the church to do because he loves Jesus and wants to honor him till the day he either comes or goes. I would hope that would be our call, each and every one of us as well. So, Lord bless you. Um, let's pray for a moment. Lord, uh, thank you for the picture of this um, diligent man who seeks after you with all his heart. Lord, I pray that you might raise up a host of those kind of people here in this church, that you might take these character qualities and just continue to work them into each of our lives so that we might become more and more Christ-like and thereby serve you and serve the church and see salt and light spread throughout this community. Lord, bless us with wisdom and insight as to how we can be um, better servants to you and ultimately win our, our nation, our community, to Christ. Thank you for what you're going to do and the expectation we, we take it. In Jesus' name, amen.